and tonight you can end your day like this, right? Yeah. Tonight, I just want to remind you, 6 o'clock, right in here, all of our own artists have written their own worship music, and tonight we are actually recording the album, okay? So please be here. It's going to be a great night, and that's what we want. We need some hoop and holler, right? Here's your chance to get on the album, actually, right, if you scream loud enough. So seriously, 6 o'clock, we would love to have you join us tonight, and it'll be, it'll, I know it's going to be fantastic. So how cool, man. Our God is seen as the lion and the lamb. So a lion, right, is this picture of ultimate power and strength. But then he's a lamb who's gentle and meek and actually lays down his life. So he's all powerful. And in that power, he lays down his life for others, for us, you and me. Well, back in August, August 17th, actually, Hurricane Harvey hit. Okay, so that was some power that came in. 134 mile an hour winds that created $125 billion of damage. Okay, so when something like that happens, right, here's a scripture. 1 John 3.17 says this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? If we have something and we see a brother or sister in need, scriptures are just clear. If the love of God is in you, you'll do something. So, as soon as Hurricane Harvey hit, immediately we called down to Houston. And we just said, hey, how can we help? And I, and I actually didn't want to get caught up in the large, I'm sure the large movements. But I just thought, if there, ever, if there ever will be, let's say, a real tragedy that would happen here in Salt Lake City, I just thought, how cool would it be if there were other guys in the country who would call me and say, hey, Dave, what can we actually do for K2, the church? I mean, that would mean so much. So we called, there's a great church planning organization in Houston. And we called him up, Eric Winter, our, our director of outreach here. He called him up and he said, hey, any, could you give us the names of individual churches that we could help? And he, they did, but they gave us these big names and big churches. And we just thought, man, do you have any small churches, like church plants? Like, remember, <laughs> like church plants, are, they're young, they're trying to get, on the, on, uh, get things rolling. And they gave us a name called Axe Community Church. And we contacted them. And we went down last, last week, uh, there, there, last week, last month, there were nine of us. And it was unbelievable, you guys. Here's a couple stories for you. There was an elderly lady in her home, and her daughter was scared that where she was at, the floods were going to be too high, so she came to be with her mom. But actually, it was her mom's house that flooded. And they, I mean, seriously, still, like months afterwards, they, they shake when they tell the story because it was such a traumatic experience to be sitting there and watching the water come up above their knees and just wondering what's going to happen to them. Do we, what do we do? And so this lady, finally, when the, when the flood subsided, what's happening down there in Houston is contractors will call and say, hey, we'll help you out, but you have to give us a down de a deposit. This contractor asked her for a $20,000 deposit. She gave it to him. He came out, did some demolition on the house, which all of us were like, what were they doing? And then he never showed up again, scammed her $20,000. Now, let me just tell you what's going on. Right? The people who have money are already taken care of. These are the poor neighborhoods. Yeah. <laughs> this is the poor who haven't been able, they are still out of their homes still today. Okay, think about that. Six months not being in their home. Second story, the guy was another a family. The man was literally on his knees crying out and saying, God, why have you abandoned us? It was literally five minutes later and the Axe Community Church knocked on his door and said, is there anything we can do to help you? And it was so cool, you guys. So nine guys go down, give up a week of our lives, 
and we get two families back into their homes, right? And it was absolutely fantastic. And that, yeah, it just, it was incredible. So, but here's, you go, yeah, go ahead and get to the, there they are, smiling, having fun. There they are, there's our group. It was a, man, by the way, we had, and we just had the best time together too. Incredible friendships that we built by, by doing this together. But this is the, the lady here right in the middle, middle. And right before I left, she just looked at me and she said, Dave, she goes, this neighborhood is in so much pain. Can I tell you, here's, what's, here's reality. There's still homes and people are not in their homes. And we can do something about that, can't we? We can. So here's the deal. We're going down again. All right. So we're going to go down in April. And I just want to encourage any of you who are interested in joining us, there's a sign up in the lobby today. Okay. So you can get down there, get some information. We'd love to have you join us for that trip. All right. Okay. Fantastic. So before I dive into the message, we're going to go ahead and take our offering right now. Okay. So why do we do this? And, and you know, I had a pastor ask me this week again, like, why do, why do you guys do this? It's all about love. Okay. Can I just tell you? And here's why. Whatever you really love, right? My two kids had their birthdays this last weekend. And I'm like, man, I love my kids. So we actually got them Hamilton tickets. How cool is that? Yeah, that, that must be them. Uh, I mean, we couldn't get them here in Salt Lake, but we were down in Phoenix for a soccer tournament, and they were actually selling them down there, and we could afford them. It was unbelievable. But, I mean, when you love somebody, it was the best thing. To, I can't wait to give you that. Now, if I asked you, do you love God, you'd go? Yes! So that's why we take an offering. Because it's your chance to go, man, I love you, God. And so you give to the little things you love. But here's the other thing. Every time you give, you know what you're doing? You're also loving people. Because every dollar you go in right now is ministering to your kids, right? Taking care of your babies, loving on your youth, doing mission out in the local community. Everything that happens is because you give. You give back to God, guys, and then I'll use it and I'll bless people, all right? So let me pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this fantastic, awesome day. And I thank you for everybody who's here, but I am so grateful for your presence. And I just pray that you would move now. God, take every dollar that we give to you and just just use it to bless people, to bring your kingdom to this earth. And then, Lord, as I speak, I just pray that your spirit would just come. Would you actually speak? I pray that we would hear your voice today and that you would love on us and transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. All right, so how many of you, anybody ever heard of Sir Christopher Wren? Anybody heard of Sir Christopher Wren? Okay, one, two, okay. So he lived in the late 1600s, early 1700s in, in England. He was an anatomist, an astronomer, a geometer, a mathematician, and a physicist. Well-rounded guy. <laughs> But he was also one of the most highly acclaimed English architects in history. And there's a story where he was actually overseeing the, the, the building of a major cathedral in London. And so a journalist actually wanted to interview some of the guys who were working on, on the project. So we went and he asked a real simple question. Every guy he'd grave, he just asked a simple question. He said, so what are you doing? And the first guy said, I'm cutting stone for 10 shillings a day. Goes the second guy, goes, hey, what are, you, what are you doing? And the guy said, I'm putting in 10 hours a day on this job. So he goes to the third guy, and he goes, so what are you doing? And the guy says, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren construct one of London's greatest cathedrals. <laughs> now, who do you think was having a better day? Yeah. Right? So here's an issue. Same situation, absolute same situation, 
different mindset. So when I first graduated out of college, I did youth ministry. It was so fun. And uh, we, we planned this retreat one time. And, and we, you know, you we plan a retreat. You have all these activities. And we're in Michigan. And it is cold and it's raining. Downpour raining the whole time we're there. Okay? So what happens? What do we do? We grabbed the kids because there was a hill out there and we just started doing mud slides, which was awesome. They're just sliding down. And then we found the muddiest place in the whole camp and we played football, right? I had, in fact, one of my greatest pictures is this picture of this whole youth group just covered in mud. And then it's like 40, upper 40s, and it's raining like crazy. So what do we do? There's a lake and we're like, let's go swimming. Right? So we literally, all of us, we just run and we're just diving into the water. And I'll never forget, one of my youth volunteers was standing on the dock going, stop it! And she was just screaming. She's like, it's cold. They're all going to get sick. It's like, throw her in the pond, right? <laughs> I mean, so seriously, so here, here's the same thing. Same situation, different mindset. Now in the Old Testament... In 2 Kings, there's a great story. The king of Aram is at war with Israel. And every time he comes up with a scheme to take down Israel, he goes, we're, we're going to capture them. He shows up, and Israel's not there. Every time. So finally, he gathers his, his people, and he says, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. He's like, there's a spy somewhere in here, because this is getting ridiculous. And then, here's what they tell him. Elisha the prophet tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So here's what was going on every time the king of Aram came up with an idea. The spirit of God revealed it to Elisha and he'd go to Israel tell them what they were doing and they could never catch him. Isn't that awesome? So then the king of Aram gets so upset that he's like, well, where is this Elijah? Because we're going to take him down and we're going to kill him. They find out the town he's living in. And so at night, he gathers his special forces. And he circles the city. And he's waiting for the morning. So Elisha's servant gets up in the morning, steps out with his cup of coffee, right? And he looks around. And that's what he's greeted with for the day. And how does he respond? He is shaking in his boots, right? So what? He's scared to death. And then Elisha comes out, and how's he responding? He's got, well, I went like this first service, but I knew that's not what he would do. So, <clears throat> but he was totally, he was totally relaxed. And he's completely at peace, even though he's surrounded by the king's special forces. Same situation, different mindset. And here's what he said. Here's what Elisha said. He said, Oh, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Open his eyes so that he may see. When you've run into a really difficult situation, what do you see? When you run into a really difficult person, what do you see? See, here's what Paul said. He said, I pray that, the, that God would open the eyes of your heart so that you might know him better. And here's what we're going to talk about today. So we're in this series, right, called Launch. And again, the reason we did the series is because we started off in January and we said the adventure with God is actually following Christ. He, Jesus said, come follow me, <laughs> right? So if you're actually going to do this Christian thing, it's not about going to church, 
It's not about getting lots of knowledge. It's about following Christ, which means you connect your life with a living God. And I'm telling you, there's no way you can do that without your life becoming an adventure. There's no way. So Jesus says, come follow me, right? Well, so we talked about what that meant. And then this week, we've been looking at four different things that can launch you into that adventure of actually following God. And what we're going to look at today, you guys, is our attitude, <laughs> Because people run into the same person who's really difficult. And one person will be like, oh, she's so angry. And the other person can totally see them through different eyes and have a different attitude towards them. Two people can be in the difficult situation like Elisha and his servant. One person's freaking out and the other person's totally good. What is it? It's actually our attitude. Charles Swindoll, many of you may have heard of him. He's a very famous pastor. He said, words can never adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitude toward life. The longer I live, the more convinced I become that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% of how we respond. So, so Stanford, Stanford Research Institute actually studies this, right? And what they find is this. It reports that only 12.5% of our success in life is determined by knowledge, the other 87.5% comes from our attitude. <laughs> More than skill, knowledge, aptitude, our attitude dictates the success in our life. So, Charles Swindoll, Swindoll continues. Here's what he says. I believe the single most significant decision I can make on a day-to-day -day basis is my choice of attitude. It is more important than my past, my education, my bankroll, my successes or failures, fame or pain, what other people think of me or say about me, my circumstances or my position. Attitude keeps me going or it cripples my progress. It alone fuels my fire or it assaults my hope. When my attitudes are right, there is no barrier too high, no valley too deep, no dream too extreme, no challenge, too great for me. So man, who are you this morning? Do, do, are you a person who has a positive attitude? Or do you find yourself as someone who has a negative attitude? You can see it. You can, I, can, I, can see the, I can see the wrong in this person. I can see the wrong in my spouse. I can see the wrong in this person. I can see the wrong in K2. I see the wrong in my boss. Right? You just, I can see it. Well, guess what, man? There's a lot wrong around. You can see it. Or you can say, man, I see the beauty in this person. I see the potential in this person. I see the uniqueness of them. Yes, they drive me crazy, but there's something beautiful about them. There's, it's all about your attitude. So what is one? This is crazy. I love this. What is an attitude? Here's the definition. It's a settled way of thinking or feeling. Settled. In other words, it's a pattern that's been embedded in your mind. That's what it is. It's about someone or something. It's typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. Isn't that right? Can't you tell? You can kind of tell when people have negative attitudes or positive attitudes because their behavior reflects what's the settled way of thinking inside of them. Another definition says an attitude is a disposition. This is interesting. It's a person's inherent qualities of mind and character. It's the predominant or prevailing tendency of one's spirit. What's yours? What is the predominant tendency of your spirit? 
It's a natural mental or emotional outlook or mood. And then a synonym for attitude is simply this. An attitude is a mindset. You look up the definition of mindset, it's the established set of attitudes held by somebody. So here's the truth. All of you, all of us in this room, we have these established sets of attitudes. And it's a mindset. It's a pattern of thinking that you have developed through your life. So no matter what happens outside of you, what a, this, a circumstances hap, circumstance happens to you, you run into a certain person and it's your attitude. See, so this is where we say, well, you made me angry. No, 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 nobody made you that. What that happened is they came and they hit your pattern of thinking, your mindset inside of you. So the question this morning is, how do you have a positive attitude? Anybody want a positive attitude? <laughs> then here's what you do. You just simply say, what is your mind set on? What is your mind set on? And here's what we're going to talk about today. Break this at the top of your paper. You need to reset your mindset. You can actually reset your mindset. And if that happens, everything will change. I love what John Milton says in Paradise Lost. He says, the mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, and, that's, what, and that's what some of you in here, you do. It's like no matter what's happening, you can find the hell in it. And there's others of you in this room, no matter what's happening, it can be the worst situation and you can find the heaven. And here's, I, 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 I told the first service, I'm going to stand at the door today and I'm going to look at every one of you when you walk out of this room because that's how I felt in prepping this message. You, I want you to hear this. Every one of you in this room, including me, every one of you can literally change your mindset. And if you change your mindset, you change your attitude, which means you change how you view everything that happens in the world. It changes how you view God it changes how you view circumstances. It changes how you view other people. And tomorrow morning when you wake up in the mirror and look in the mirror, it can change how you even look at yourself. And this is what God wants to do. How do I know? Because scripture is packed. Look at this. Ephesians 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off, put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds. <laughs> See, so what, this, I'm so, if you're not a Christian, man, this, can I tell you, here's a great reason to become a Christian. And if you are one, then here, wake up, okay, this morning. Here's what's true about you. We live a life outside of God. And so we've, we've been thinking and struggling. And God says, as soon as you receive Christ into your life, he goes, I give you my spirit. And now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, the spirit helps us to know the thoughts of God. So he literally can come in and you can change, renew the attitude of your mind, which again is your settled way of thinking, your predominant tendency in your spirit, the natural mental or emotional outlook. You guys, the Bible says when you become a Christian, there is a reset of your mindset. You become new. You can change your attitude. And then it says, put on the new self, okay? You can have a new mind, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's great news. Because you know what God is like? We saw it in Jesus. 
He's absolutely full of joy. In fact, Jesus, my joy, he goes, I give you so your joy could be complete. Anybody want that? He goes, I want to give you peace, unlike the world gives. I will give you my peace. There is a settled, beautiful mind of Christ. And the Bible says when you become a Christian, you get that mind. You can become like God in true righteousness and holiness. Romans 12, 2 says, so don't conform to the pattern of this world. See, there's, there's a pattern, there's a set way of thinking, a predominant tendency, there's a natural outlook in our world. But it says, look at this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you guys see what that means? The Bible says you can reset your mindset. And if you renew your mind, what happens to you? You get transformed. This is what he's telling us. It's awesome. He says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Colossians 3, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Yeah, see, see, why is the Bible saying this? Because what your mind is set on becomes your mindset. It becomes the predominant way that you think and see the world. And this is so cool because what this is saying is this is the key. It is something you can change, right? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad three of us got that. <laughs> no, but please don't miss this. The Bible would not tell you to set your mind and your heart on things above. The Bible would not tell you if you'd renew your mind, you could actually be transformed unless you could do this. And so every one of you in this room has the possibility of making this happen. You can reset your mindset. Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit, anybody want to do this? Okay, think about it. How, what's the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Anybody want that? Okay, if you're human, every human being is saying, oh, I wish I had that. And the Bible's saying, then quit setting your mind, quit having a mindset on earthly things, on the pattern of this world, that if you perform and if you're good enough, then you're valuable. No, uh-uh. Stop that. Set your mind on what the Spirit desires. And the wolves who live according to the Spirit are those who actually do this. It's something that you can do. So Philippians 4 says this, finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Hey, how many of you can think about those things? Okay, you're all liars. You can. You can think those thoughts. So what's the Bible saying? Set your mind. Change your settled way of thinking. Change the predominant tendency of your spirit. Change your natural mental or emotional outlook. Reset your mindset. And then he goes on to say what? Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, if you were here four, three weeks ago when I kicked off this series, we talked about this. What, is the, what did Jesus say? Jesus said this, man does not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
See, we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you have to be taking this. Can I just tell you? This is why I want to encourage, I just would love to encourage any of you who have not received Christ, anyone of you who at this point right now, you would say, I live my life separate from God. I have not made that decision to bring Christ into my life because what the Bible says is until you bring Christ into your life, you actually, I mean, you can know about God, but his spirit only comes into people who have received Christ. See, so, so what happens here is then we get what? We get, well, you, you go, go ahead and look at, look at the self-help books. They say the same thing. Think right thoughts, right? Think correct things. And I've seen it. And people literally can change their mind too by thinking positive thoughts. Anybody can do that. But here's what Christians can do that people who don't have Christ and don't have the Spirit of God can do. Christians have the Spirit, and the Spirit gives them the thoughts of God. See, that's really different than me trying to come up with positive thinking. Because then I'm limited, right? Because I'm only going to come up with the best stuff I can come up with or what some other human wrote. But what the Bible is saying is you can have them thoughts of God. And when those come in, man, then you get transformed. All right? So, a few years ago, Susie and I went to a conference called Q. Q is basically a TED Talk kind of con- How many of you have ever heard of Q? Anybody heard of Q? Okay, cool. How many of you have heard of TED Talks? Okay, everybody. Well, Q is basically a Christian TED Talks. And uh, we heard this speaker called Dr. Carolyn Leaf. She is a neurobrain scientist, and she's a believer in Christ, okay? Super committed to Jesus, but spends 30 years um, studying the brain. And I tell you, man, she got done speaking. I'm like, this was one of the most hopeful things I've ever heard. Because you know what's happening? What the Bible said 2,000 years ago, science is now proving to be true. Science now can get in the brain and go, oh my gosh, you can actually be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So watch the doctor. I, I actually, she is so good, I'm giving her 10 minutes of my message, all right? I, want, I just want her to speak to you. She's going to blow your mind with what's true, what's going on in here. Okay, watch this. Good morning, everyone. What an awesome day this is to be able to share my passion about it's brain science in the Bible. Okay, so for 30 years, I've been studying the brain. And for 30 years, as a, 25 years as a therapist, and I now travel around the world teaching this concept, one thing I've come to realize is a very, very important, a very, very important concept is the following. God made everything. We're all in agreement. So science is an explanation of the everything. So science should be in the church. Science is simply a tangible way of explaining God's incredible creation. How we function, how we work, how the world works is science. So using science is a very tangible way of actually understanding and admiring God. So through science, we admire God. So as a neuroscientist, it's been an incredibly interesting journey to see how we can look at science and understand more about God and how the two link together. So what I'm going to do in this short time frame is give you an overview with a lot of slides of how this concept works. So Essentially, we are thinking beings. We think 24 hours a day. During the day, we are building 
thoughts, and at nighttime we are sorting out those thoughts that we build. So thoughts are real things that occupy mental real estate. So the trees I have on the stage over here are some props to help you, and you will get to the whole mental health issue as we use the props. The green tree represents mental health. It represents a healthy thought in the brain. The thoughts in the brain are memories. Thoughts and memories are the same thing. So thoughts look like trees. They have an arbor-like structure, which is a tree-like structure, hence this analogy. The little black tree on the side is a toxic tree, and that toxic tree represents mental ill health. It represents toxicity. It represents the fear zone. The green tree represents the love zone. We're made in God's image, so we are wired for love. That statement was made, wired for love, learn fear, we are wired for love, we learn fear, is a statement that was made by a Nobel Prize winning scientist that is not a believer in God. But what the research is showing is that we are wired for love. What that means is that every cell, every structure, every organ, every part of the human brain and the human body is wired for good decisions, good thinking, wired for love, wired for mental health wired for the good stuff, for the perfectly you. Well, this makes sense because if you look at the scriptures and there's many, God says that in Ecclesiastes 7.29, it says that I made them perfect, but they choose to go down their own pathway. Here's my point. The research shows that we are wired for love. The research shows that the brain is designed to only handle healthy thoughts in the, on the green side, the wired for love side. This, when we step into that side, we are violating the law of love and we are creating toxicity inside the brain. So thoughts are real things that occupy mental real estate in one form or another, either in the healthy, which is the normal, which is your normal, which is my normal, or the unhealthy. How do we get between the two? Through our free will. Okay, so let's have a look at the first slide. Here is lunch, your brain on a plate. Okay, so this brain is amazing. I've studied it for 30 years, and it should be highly complex because you're a highly complex human being made in God's image. We are highly complex. The brain simply captures the result of our thinking. We are triune beings. We are spirit, soul, and body. We all know that. So your spirit is God creates our spirit first. That is our perfect nature. He then gives us a body. And as the body and the spirit connect, we have the soul. So the soul is in the middle, has one foot in the door of the spirit, one foot in the door of the body. The soul is the intellect, the will, and the emotion. Your thinking, choosing, and feeling. The soul is the mind realm. The mind realm is in the middle, and it is through the mind that we make choices, where God has laid down free will. The greatest gift he gave us was his son. The second greatest gift he gave us was this incredible ability to think and to choose. He gave us a love, power, and a sound mind. He gave us a love, power, and a sound mind. Not a loveless, powerless, and unsound mind. That is a learned response. Your normal, natural is in this design over here. But through our incredible free will, we choose where we're gonna be aligning our mind. And mental ill health comes when we make the wrong decisions, when we step out of alignment with who we truly are, and that changes things. So how does it change things? I'm gonna tell you today that your thinking influences your genetic expression, that we change our genes with the way that we perceive life, the way that you react to the signals of everyday life. And what are the signals? The events and circumstances of life. You're doing life daily to 
24 hours a day. At nighttime, when you sleep, you are sorting out how you've done the day. How you go to sleep at night will influence how you wake up the next morning. When you wake up tomorrow morning, when you woke up this morning, you woke up with 3 billion new cells, in your 300 billion new cells inside your brain. And each one of those cells is designed to scaffold and help you build the new networks of the day. You are building new networks moment by moment as you are thinking. You are moment by moment of every day as a neuroplastician redesigning the landscape of your brain. You control your brain. Your brain does not control you. You control your genes. Your genes do not control you. In every cell of your body, there are, genetic, there are genes, and inside those genes, there are genetic engineering genes that are designed to help you to adapt to the signal that you are receiving through the events and circumstances of life. So if your reaction is incorrect, you make wrong choices, you will wire that in, and you will wire toxicity, and if you keep toxicity inside of your brain, it will produce worry, anxiety, and will start manifesting in the depressions, the bipolar, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the thing, you're a neuroplastician. Neuro meaning brain, plastic meaning to change. Romans 12, 2, you're renewing of the mind. Bring all thoughts into captivity to Christ Jesus. God would never give us commands that he didn't design us able to fulfill. Your brain is designed to fulfill the concept of renewing of the mind. Renewing of the mind is neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity means you can change your brain. So if you've wired it in, you can wire it out. That's not your future. That is who you have become. That's not who you are. That's who you have become. So when it's wired in, you can wire it out. If you keep it, the manifestations will increase because whatever you think about the most will go. Where your brain goes, where your mind goes, your brain follows. You see, your spirit controls your soul. Your soul controls your brain, which controls your body. And the Holy Spirit controls it all. We are designed to be led by the Holy Spirit, controlling our spirit to soul to body. So look at the next slide, which is a slide going inside the brain. And you're going to see neurons. You all know what a neuron is. You have 100 billion neurons in your brain. And on the tops of the neurons, we get branches called dendrites. And that is where our memories are stored. Right now, you are building memories at 400 billion actions per second in your non-conscious mind. What you're seeing up there on the screen is your mind activity, your mind signals which are generating life. The things that you see growing over there are branches which are protein structures which are holding the words that I am telling you now with the emotions. Every thought that you build contains information and emotions. You with your mind make choices. You generate this. You impact the way that the cell body functions. That thinking, the receiving of my words as a signal goes inside the cell body. That's the cell body that's pulsating in the middle there, the round thing. And inside the cell body, we have the nucleus. Inside the nucleus, we have the DNA. Inside the DNA, we have the chromosomes. And the chromosomes, you'll see in a moment, we're going to go inside, inside the cell body, the chromosomes unwind into the, into the DNA. They're the chromosomes, not worms, okay? And the chromosomes unwind into the DNA. Now, we think that the DNA is it. It's not. The DNA is a, has, contains the genetic code, which is a pattern for proteins, a pattern for life. But the gene code on there is dormant until activated. What activates your signal? What is the signal? How you are perceiving life. How you are thinking, choosing, and reacting. That generates the life that you saw inside of that particular slide. The first slide I showed you was a brain on a plate. That brain was doing nothing. But the world of science worships the created instead of the creator. 
but God is revealing and inspiring scientific discoveries to those that even don't believe in him because they are manifestations of his greatness. So he uses science, so he inspires to manifest his greatness. So when we look at science correctly, we admire God more. So that genetic code is waiting for you to express. So every time you think and choose, you are building networks inside of your brain. And those networks look like trees inside of your brain. This is an actual tree inside of your brain. So where does anxiety come from? When we make incorrect choices and we build incorrect thoughts inside of our brain. He has another image going deeper inside the brain. And as you build, that's what it looks like. These are the thoughts that you build. This is healthy thinking and this is unhealthy thinking. That black cloud is not a hole in the brain. It looks different. The structure's inflamed and it's all messed up inside your brain. Glucose metabolism goes wrong. That, if we keep, causes anxiety. But you designed to unwind that. What you wind in, you can wind out. My closing statement is 30 years of research squashed into nine minutes has been a challenge. My closing statement is, you cannot control the events and circumstances of your life, but you can control your reactions to the events and circumstances of life. Thank you very much. How's that for a fire hose? But isn't that amazing? See, this is fascinating how God has made us. And that, that the truth that we can actually, that when we think correctly, new proteins form in your brain and chemicals actually cause these toxic thoughts. They can see them and they disintegrate. And the real true thought comes over. You literally are renewing your mind. I love what she said there. You can't control the events and circumstances in your life. And we all know that's true, isn't it? I talked with a couple after the first service. This is their biggest issue. They, they are trying to control the future. You can't do it. You can't control the people who are going to come into your life. You can't control what they do to you. You can't control circumstances. You can't control a flood down in Houston. You can't control them. Those things are going to happen, but you can control your reaction to the events and circumstances in your life. This is fascinating. Here's how Winston Churchill put it. He said, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, and an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. So which one are you? What do you see? It's interesting, when I look up the definition of optimism, it's hopefulness and confidence about the future or the successful outcome of something. But you know what's interesting? Is the, I'm going to show you now the definition of faith. It's right from the Bible. And I, it, it sounds exactly like optimism. Look at this. Faith is confidence. This is Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sorry, chapter 11. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Isn't that a fantastic? I mean, if you're an optimist, you're hopeful. But how do you get hopeful? It's because you have faith. You believe in something deeper than the circumstances around you or what the people have done to you in your life. So John 6, so somebody comes up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? In other words, you're incredible. Like, how do you do this? How do you have so much joy? How do you have so much peace? How do you have so much love? How do you not freak out when a storm is happening or when people want to nail you to a cross? How do you do it, Jesus? We want to do the works. And Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him and whom he sent. 
You guys, the work of God is that you and I believe the hard work that we have to do is right in here. It's not changing your behavior. It's not behavior management. It's not trying to do different things or trying to be a different person. Because here's the truth. What you believe, everything that you and I do, everything that we do in action is actually triggered by an emotion. It moves you to act. But every emotion actually is triggered. This is what brain scientists have shown. Every emotion is actually triggered in a synapsis from the thought. So something happens, you run into a difficult person or a really bad situation, and you have a thought, and it triggers an emotion, and it causes you to act. But here's what's crazy. Every thought is actually triggered by what you believe. So God is saying, quit trying to get better, quit trying to be a better person. What you actually have to do, the work you have to do is to believe. You have to have absolute confidence and assurance in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died for all of your sin. So the next time a situation happens, and shame, negative thoughts, right? You screwed up. So what happens? You're a loser. You're no good. God can't love you. You, you, you can't do anything right. You're not good enough. Those are the thoughts that come in. you got to work when that happens to believe differently no, Jesus Christ died for me, and that mistake, too, was in his body. It's already been punished. I'm completely forgiven. So you have to work at that. You run into somebody, and they're, they're totally messed with you, and they hurt you, right? And so now you're angry, or you want to, then what do you got to do? You got to work. Well, hold on a second. I need to have a different view of that person. You have to believe something. It's amazing. I have this verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says, Christ loved, well, Philippians 2.5, sorry, says, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude, <laughs> the same mindset as Christ. And then 2 Corinthians says, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. See, I'm compelled that Christ, by his love, because I'm convinced that God loved the world, right? For God so loved who? The world. And so when he died, he died for who? Everybody. And so in verse 16, it says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So what does that mean? I'm not going to look and judge people based on their performance on what they did or what they didn't do. Because Jesus said on the cross, I'm getting rid of judgment. And here's what Jesus taught me just two days ago. You can have the same attitude towards yourself. I finally realized, I'm like, I, I think God has done a lot of work in me to not judge others for what they do. But you know who I judge? Me. And God said, will you quit judging you? I already did that. It's done. You're totally forgiven and you're clean. And you just say, you beat yourself. You're not good enough. You're Negative thoughts in my head. And he's like, no more. And so what do we got to do? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this. We take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. I love it. Captive. It's a, it's a war, you guys. Right? Now, why do we have to take every thought that comes into our mind? Why do we have to take it captive? You know why? Because Jesus told us, you have an enemy, man, and he seeks to steal and kill and destroy you. And he said, and he's the father of what? The father of lies. 
So that means all Satan does nonstop, 24 stinking seven days a week, is tell you lies about God, lies about this circumstance, lies about other people, and lies about yourself. And you know what I heard someone say? And it takes no faith to believe those. We just, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm horrible, and so are you, and God doesn't love me. And we just, we just buy it. And toxic thoughts come up, and they just they creep inside your head, and now your mind is set on that. And what do you think about, oh, this circumstance is so bad, and if I don't, it's going to get worse, right? We, as my friend said, we go down the road to worst-case scenario town, don't we? That's what we do. And then what do we think? Well, God doesn't love me, and he's not good, and he's not going to take care of me. So now we bought that. And then we look at other people and we judge them and we think you're mean and you're this and you're against me. And then we look in the mirror. This is why you must do the work of God. And what's the work of God? To, okay, we're not getting there. What's the work of God? To believe. Say it. You have to believe. Come on, man. I know none of you came to church today to walk out of here with a negative attitude that makes your life suck. And I'm sorry I said it, but it's true. None of you came in here. None of you want to live that way. And you're going to walk out of here and tomorrow morning do what? Continue to buy the lies? No. Do the work of God and believe and set your mind on what is true. Think about what is lovely, what is right. Sometimes, man, I just got to, you know why? Because sometimes that's what I got to do to me. And I'm going to share that in just a moment. I will. Take captive every thought. Reset your mindset. Think about it. Set your mind. So here's what I want to tell you. So go ahead and put this slide up there. I want to tell every one of you, go to this website. Okay? If you want to do this, drleaf.com. Just drleaf.com. And uh, I just want to tell you, every book I have read on spiritual warfare, every one of them, says that 90% of spiritual warfare is where? Right here. Because our enemy's a liar. And here's what he knows. If he can get your mind set on things that aren't true, then that will be your attitude, that'll be your mindset, and that's how you'll live. You won't trust God because he's not good. You won't follow him. You'll be nonchalant about God. God's not that big of a deal. Just do your own thing. He's this happy guy up in the sky. No, he is a holy, righteous creator of your life who created you for him and nothing else. Okay? So what lie are you believing? And so, 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 so every spiritual warfare is all about in here. Every book I've ever read on identity, on who am I in Christ, it's all you got to do this, man. You got to know the scripture. You got to know the truth of God. And you got to let the spirit of God come. But Dr. Leaf, you keep that up there. What Dr. Leaf does, though, is she's the pers- first person who actually lays out how, what to do. And, you, and so go to drleaf.com. You'll come down, there will be something that says online programs and apps, okay? And then you click on this 21-day detox. Now, I've done this twice. And I'll be honest with you. I was so skeptical, right? Because I don't know about you, right? People tell you, how many days does it take to, to, perform, uh, to create a new habit? 30? Isn't it? Is it? Whatever it is. Oh, here's all I know. It's a bunch of bull. It doesn't work. <laughs> I've, I've tried doing something lots of times, and then on the 31st day, I'm right back to where I was, right? And so I, I do this 21-day detox, and I'm thinking, this nothing's going to change. But here's what she does. 
So I'm just going to be totally vulnerable with you again. So I've been really struggling because I actually believe that God is against me. Now here's what's weird. I, I know he's not. Did you guys know that you can know things and not believe them? See, and what's hard is when you're Christian, especially when you're a pastor and you know the answers, it's really hard to get to your reality. So God had to go through my wife. And long story there, I won't go into, but she actually, God used her to help me to realize, David, here's the truth. And the truth is, you believe God is against you. And when that came real to me, I'm like, oh my God, it is. I, it's, I do, that's what I believe. So I knew I needed to do this 21-day detox. So I started just, just about four weeks ago. And I literally, and here's what she does, kind of like Jamie Winship, you start and you just kind of cup that thought, God is against me. And then she says, now get on your knees and place that thought at the throne of grace where Jesus sits. So I go, man, I go like this. And I just lay it down like this and, oh my God. I mean, I'm, I'm like I am right now. I was totally like I am right now. And as soon as I got on my knees, I just started heaving. I just started weeping. And my body, it got so heavy, I felt like I couldn't even pick my hands up. And all I could sense was the Holy Spirit was just saying, David, you need to see how dark this thought is. You need to see how heavy it is. You need to see how insidious it is. And you need to know that as long as you keep believing that, you will never be free to be everything I created you to be. Man, I was exhausted all day. I couldn't even do anything. It was so just drained me. I got up the next day, and I started doing her 21-day detox. Unbelievable. Here's what she does every morning. It only takes 10 minutes, too. 10 minutes. And every morning, you just grab a truth. You, you, you attack this toxic that God is against me, and then you take truth from the Word and from the Spirit, and you come up with one tiny phrase, and then in that phrase, you repeat that phrase seven times during the day. And here's what I have to do. I actually had to set my alarm seven times, right, because I would forget. And I have to look at my calendar and go, okay, i got to break between these two meetings. Boom, I'm going to do it. And it only takes 10 seconds. Because you just, you stop. Okay. And then you tell yourself the truth. And you tell yourself the truth seven times a day. You know what happens when you do that? Dr. Leaf just told us. You literally start building a new protein in your brain. And chemicals come off and this one starts to disintegrate and you start setting your mind on things above. You think about what is right and true and lovely and this thing dies and you come up. And I'll never forget, I got to day like 16, I'm going, I think I'm thinking differently. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's true because it's straight from God's word to you, and there's not one of you in this room who can't do that. So I'm telling you, oh, thank you, Lord, for this life that you want to give. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close today with this. I gave every one of you a, in your program, you have a sheet with some scriptures on it, okay? If you don't have one, raise your hand, because this is, you're going to need one to, to, to do our last thing of the day here. Right? Can I borrow that just real quick, and I'll give it right back to you? <laughs> um, but just real quick, because I just, I tried to think of what are some areas where we struggle with our attitude, okay? When people are difficult, scripture. When, when work, some of your attitudes are just horrible towards work. When you find yourself complaining, if you're just complaining about stuff. When life is confusing, when it's hard. 
when you're down on yourself or when your future is paralyzed. Some of you are so paralyzed by your future. So here's what I want you to do. This is what you live on, every word that comes from the mouth of God. You choose the one that fits you the most and read it and meditate on it and ask God, God, please show me what you want me to know from this passage. And in the little space that we gave you, just take a portion of that scripture or a small phrase that makes sense out of what you just heard and you write it down, okay? And then I'm going to ask you for the rest of this day, seven times today, seven times today, you take down the truth and you tackle where your attitude has been suffering and you reset your mindset, okay? We're actually going to give you about three or five minutes to do it right now. It's all you need. You don't need more time. Just take three, three or four minutes and you can do this, all right? Let's do this and then we'll close. God, I just want to say we, we just, we're in awe of you. We just, we just stop and we just want to say thank you and we're, the way that you have created us is awesome. I think of David saying, you're just in awe in Psalm 139 of how you've knit us together in your mother's room, how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. And we just thank you, God, that you have made us in such a way so that we can relate to you. This amazing brain, this, this ability to think and to reason, this free will that we have. And we just want to say, I just want to say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that we can actually have the mind of Christ, that we can have your thoughts so that they can, the truth can actually renew our mind so that we can know the truth and the truth will set us free. And God, I just pray for everyone in here because there's not a soul in here who doesn't have lies packed into their brain, toxic thoughts, things that are driving us into, into darkness and into deception, into conflict. And we just, I just want to pray against all of that. Yes, the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus, you came so we could have life. And I pray that blessing on all of us, God. Would you move in us to that end? And we just ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So guys, here's what's so cool. Um, we got a two-minute, really short thing we're going to do here. But I, I was just reading a couple days again. It was, I was setting my mind in Scripture two days ago. Philippians 3 says this. Not that I have already obtained all this. So that right there, God was going, Nelson, would you just chill on yourself? <laughs> Quit judging yourself. Not that I've already obtained. Paul hadn't yet obtained all this. It takes a while, right? we got a lot to do here. He goes, or that I have already arrived at my goal. So think about the, these Olympians, right? Olympians give everything they've got for this goal. He goes, I haven't obtained it. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Amen. Do you guys know that? Do you know nobody finds Jesus? You don't find Jesus. Jesus takes hold of you. And how cool is it that he takes a hold of us? And then he goes, and I'm going to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And what Christ took hold of me and you for is eternal life. That we would know the one true God in Jesus Christ. And that's life. And as we know him, we live. He goes, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize. Forget it. Get rid of these negative thoughts and these new ones. And then Hebrews 12 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race that Christ has marked out for us. And I want to tell you, one of the biggest things that's hindering all of us in this room from running free the life that God has for us are these toxic, negative lies. That negative attitude 
the mind is set on the wrong thing. Throw that off tomorrow, guys. Throw it off the day after. Throw it off and set your mind on him. And we can run the race and win the prize that Christ died for you to have. All right? Let's stand together. We got one last song. Let's celebrate this as we do. Thank you.